school again here back to my old theme song the cover version of it not tom petty himself actually that i used for, for my tfr years we won't back down this is don jeffries with i protest coming to you as we do every friday at this time from just outside the swamp infested washington dc we have a return guest someone i uh, admire very much uh, when i was um, first starting my own jfk jr research i relied heavily on the research of this guy along with a couple others uh, john hankey is a filmmaker uh, and researcher. He's uh, had documentaries like Dark Legacy and Dark Legacy 2, again, which is about the JFK Jr. Uh, assassination, I think. And he's, uh, his latest video is Breakthrough JFK Murder Solved. John, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So how did you, and we probably went over this way back in the years past, but who knows who's listening now that was listening then. Uh, so uh, t tell us how, how did you how did you get uh, how did you end up down these wayward paths uh, that myself and all the listeners are? What, what got you started down these rabbit holes? <laughs> well, um, I had a roommate who had an uncle who was a very well connected and successful. Um, stockbroker and he managed to get his hands on a copy of bootleg copy of the Zapruder film. I don't know um, how much people know about the Zapruder film, but um, Jim Garrison had his trial coming up and he subpoenaed the Zapruder film. And I think maybe to everyone's shock and surprise, they let him have it and they made him promise that he wouldn't copy it. And Mark Lane took it and immediately went out and made copies and then handed those copies to as many people as he could to have them make copies. And one of those copies, many of those copies found their way to Los Angeles and one of them found their, uh, its way into the hands of my roommate who showed it to me. And this would have been um, 50 years ago, right? Kennedy was 10 years dead when this happened. And I was always an A student. Right, I had a 3.97 in college, and I did, I did two and a half years of college in one year in order to to get my degree and and maintain a 3.97. So I'm good at this. This, you know, it's what I do. And my roommate shows me this film, and I said, "Whoa!" And, and he he says, "You should get um, you should get Mark Lane's book." And he told me, and I ran down to the library and. I couldn't find it in the card catalog. And I went to the librarian and said, I'm looking for this book on the Kennedy assassination. And he said, the librarian says, Mark Lane rushed to judgment. I said, yeah, I can't find it in the catalog. He says, well, look under Mark Lane rushed to judgment and you can find it. If you know what you're looking for, you can find it. But if you don't, you can't. And that's today on Google. If you know exactly the name of this film, and you, if you go to my channel, 
if you go to the John Hankey YouTube channel, you can find it. If you type in anything else and it will never come up in a billion years. Um, and my first two documentaries, uh, right? I, I did one on JFK Sr. called uh, JFK to the Bush Connection. And then I did one, the assassination of JFK Jr. And I did reissues where they, I cleaned them up, hired an editor and, and made them look real nice. And Netflix carried them for two years. And today I can't get a, a video on Netflix. They, the first two movies are available on Amazon Prime. You can buy them and stream them, but we can't get them to carry the new one because we live in this new climate where everything is on lockdown, right? Anything that <laughs> remotely resembles the truth <laughs> is on absolute lockdown. Anyhow, so I got Mark Lane's book. I got Jim Garrison's books. I started studying. I had a copy of the Zapruder film and I started going around. I went to UCLA. We, we, Royce Hall, we had, geez, it looked like a thousand people uh, at Royce Hall 20, 50 years ago, watched the Zapruder film and I did a presentation. I went to UC Santa Cruz, my old university, and did a presentation. And I went to my old high school and my Latin teacher let me teach all of his classes that day. And um, I became a teacher and I was, I was cruising along doing, um, I would teach my students about the Kennedy assassination. I'd show them Walter Cronkite and we would then analyze the brilliant lying that Walter Cronkite does. Our state of the art lies, right? <laughs> he shows you a photograph and calls it a photograph. I'm sorry. He shows you a drawing of a small hole in the head of back of Kennedy's head. And he tells you it's a drawing and he tells you the background of it. And then it, in the climax of the video, he shows it to the same thing and calls it a, a photo. And, you know, how can you dispute a photo? But so anyway, I was doing that and having a good time. And then Mark Lane came out with um, uh, I'm drawing a blank. Um, uh, oh, Citizen's Descent. Nope. That was uh, the one where he talks about the, the trial of Spotlight Magazine, the Spotlight Magazine trial. Um, I apologize to everybody for drawing such a blank, but that really changed my life, that book. Um, Spotlight Magazine published an article saying that E. Howard Hunt was in Dallas and had been involved in the assassination and that this was going to come out. And if you read the book really, really carefully, what you find out is that that magazine article was based on a memo that they had been handed by James Angleton, the head of CIA find, I think it's called counterintelligence, but the job is to find bad CIA guys. And Angleton said, yeah, we found one. His name's E. Howard Hunt, and he was in Dallas and was involved in the Kennedy assassination. Anyhow, um, that really, that book um, by Mark Lane really pushed me again to um, start over again. And then I discovered all of this evidence um the nation magazine it had an article geez it took me years to find it i'm driving down the road listening to some off the pacifica radio and, and some guy mentions that the nation magazine had carried this article talking about a memo that had been that the nation magazine had published um talking about a memo written by J. Edgar Hoover that named George Bush. The title of the memo is Assassination of John F. Kennedy. And sure. then 
down in the very end, um, it mentions, oh, yeah, by the way, we called Mr. George Bush of the CIA into right. FBI headquarters to answer questions about what Hoover in this memo calls misguided anti-Castro Cubans. Well, those are the CIA's mongoose people. And anyhow, did I <laughs> answer your question? Sure. Well, sure. So you, 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 you like you like me, you came to all these topics. It started with the JFK assassination. I think a lot of us are that way. I mean, obviously, you probably would have maybe not had the same interest in JFK Jr. if you hadn't originally been interested in JFK. And you're still, obviously, your new film's about to. So I, I want you to be able to talk as much as you can about the new film. So we'll talk about JFK Jr. And I, you see Chris Graves is already on there wanting me to ask you about uh, Todd Bergen. I, th I think we talked the last time where I, I told you, I, you know, that somebody purporting to be Todd Bergen... <laughs> actually angrily you know lashed out at me in an email when I, I somehow got a hold of him but uh he um and that'll be in in my next book but um for those of you who don't know who Todd Bergen is he was a uh, a, a petty officer with the coast guard who appeared uh, who appeared on local television i have the videotape of him doing an interview with wcvp tv i think in massachusetts uh, <clears throat> with um Susan Warnick, who is the reporter who who later would not answer any of my emails. And, you know, basically they, they, the station almost denied they ever gave him. But he, he was talking about the 9.39 p.m. Uh, last contact with JFK Jr., which is important because they would maintain later the FAA would say that there was no contact between him. And that was the exact same moment as his plane was supposedly spiraling into the sea. So this guy Bergen finally answered me years later and uh, just called me a conspiracy nut said I was crazy and I <laughs> said, I don't want to associate with anybody but you, like you. And of course, wouldn't address anything about why he gave an interview. But I don't know. So I just wanted to bring that because because Chris mentioned it. But um, well, let me I talk about it for a minute. But let me throw yeah. in a, the quick plug. I'm here to plug my newest right. video, which is 50 years of research. It's called Breakthrough uh, JFK Murder Solved. It's on Vimeo. You can watch it on Vimeo for 99 cents. The trailer is four minutes long. The, tra the trailer has all the, the key stuff, and you can watch that for free on Vimeo. Uh, you have to type in um, Breakthrough and JFK, and then it will come up. Um, I won't be surprised if that starts getting blocked, but at the moment, you can do that. Anyhow, it, you can also go to, um, to Amazon, to Prime. Prime carried J... Dark Legacy 2 for years. You could watch Dark Legacy 2 for free on Prime. I don't know how much they charge um, today to download it, but it's reasonable. And in any case, it has that Todd Bergen interview in it. You get to hear him say <laughs> what today I'm sure he now says that he, he didn't say. Anyhow, <laughs> Bergen disappears, right? He, he gives this interview and you tried to contact him. I tried to find him. Uh, I hired a private investigator, and this is 20 years ago. I paid this person $500 to find Todd Bergun, and they came back and said, you can't find him. He's gone. He has disappeared um, from the planet. And, you know, this is a private investigator. It's their profession, yeah. and they, they have access to stuff that we don't have access to. Well, Bergun's um, supervisor was a guy named Larrabee, Admiral Larrabee. And a couple of years later, he got a job working in the World Trade Center. He was the head <laughs> of the Port Authority, and he's working in the World Trade Center. But this was before 9-11. It was a little bit before 9-11, yeah. and I called yeah. him up. 
And I said, um, I'd like to talk to you about the the death of JFK Jr. He says, oh, I can't talk about that. That's, you know, private stuff of the family. We don't want to interfere. Right. And I said, fine, let's Fair not enough. interfere. Tell me about Todd Bergun. <laughs> and he says, I don't know Todd Bergun. <laughs> and I said, he answered directly to you on a daily yeah. basis, but yeah. you don't know who he is. Okay. Yeah. All right. You know, yeah. But it's, you know, it's really, really a major mystery. And there's there's no question I in my mind that the person who contacted you was not Todd Bergun. I don't know what I can't begin to imagine what happened to the real Todd Bergun. But let's talk about that for a second, because yeah. he gets on Boston is it Channel 5 and yeah, WCVB yeah. tells Warnock, Susan Warnock, that the plane was 10 miles out at 939 on final approach and contacted the tower. Well, let me pat myself on the back. You know, I told you I'm a, I was still am a, a hardworking, I'm dogged student and investigator. And I won't tell you the five minute story of what I had to go through to get my hands on the NTSB report, which is a public record and supposed to be readily yeah. available. But I had to contact my congressperson to get a, to get a copy of it. Anyhow, so I get a copy of the NTSB report and I'm going through it. And it turns out that they, you know, they give you this second by second review of where the plane was and what it was doing. And at 939, it was 10 miles off the coast of Martha's Vineyard. And a few seconds before that, the 30 seconds before that, it, and it was at um, 5,000 feet. But a few hmm. seconds before that, it had been like at 4,500 feet. And then it went back up to 5,000 because when you're on final approach, you, when you hit 5,000, you have to contact the tower. The point is that all of this really crazy, fine detail that this guy calling himself Todd Bergun gave in that news report that morning is completely confirmed, corroborated by the NTSB report. It was absolutely true. And the reason that all of this is important I've had any number of people explain this to me, but I, I talked to the head of the California Coast Guard, uh, among others. I talked to the guy who signed the NTSB report. I really, really, really went the 99 and a half yards um, on this thing. I talked to a number of Kennedy's flight instructors, and um, all of them said that if you contact the tower, um, they put... you. Your plane has a thing on it called a transponder that emits a signal to the NTSB telling them who you are. And if you contact the tower, they put your discrete ID number into the system so that they know who you are. And it was that the guy who signed the NTSB report explained to me that at that point, if you descend below 200 feet anywhere, but on the designated tarmac of the designated destination, it sets off an alarm at the FAA and they're supposed to begin, you know, a, a right, red alarm, red alert level um, alarm looking into what's going on that this plane has descended below 200 feet and it's not on its target tarmac. So the, the fact that Kennedy contacted the the um, the tower is huge because all of those things should have gone into effect. The, the head of the California Coast Guard told me that the that same beacon 
locates your location to within three feet. And he was telling me, oh, yeah, we just had a plane crash, you know, a couple of days ago. And we knew within three feet where that plane went down. Um, in addition to which, when I told his flight instructor, um, Marks, Arthur Marks, I think. He was, he was John's first flight instructor, but he flew with him, you know, a hundred times right. over the course of 10 years, I think. Kennedy had 350 hours of flight time. And when I told Marks that they, the Pentagon was saying that Kennedy had never contacted the FAA, he couldn't believe it. He was certain that must be a mistake because he said, he said this in his report to the NTSB, that Kennedy was the most careful flight instructor that he had ever, and the most careful pilot, the most meticulous and careful pilot that he had ever encountered. And he had to remonstrate him and tell him, look, relax, you're supposed to be enjoying this, right? The reason you're becoming a pilot is because it's supposed to be enjoyable. And he had to tell him that. Um, but, but so the note, and so Arthur Marks is telling me that contacting the tower is absolutely the most fundamental safety procedure that you would do. And to him, it was absolutely unthinkable that Kennedy would fly and non not contact the FAA because totally. if you do contact the FAA, then if there's some kind of, you know, some, some big 747 gets into trouble and has to turn around and is flying into your area and you need to dodge it, they can tell you if you contact them and suppose a storm, you know, I don't know, in the Northeast storms can come out of nowhere, right? From zero to 120 in, in minutes. So that if a st so storm suddenly develops, they can contact you and tell you, Hey, you need to get out of the way uh, or whatever. Um, but so that the notion that Kennedy would not have contacted the, the flight following it's called the, the FAA procedures, it's completely unthinkable. Well, they're, they're, obviously, they're, they're, they went to a great deal. If you had his boss denying it existed, and I, I talked to Susan Warnick, Norman, Steve Sabresha, uh, it, at first was very interested and said, yeah, something's fishy about all the JFK. And then later he changed, uh, after I wrote Hidden History, he actually was interested in my book reads, but later he seems to have changed course and now believes all the nonsense about his recklessness and all that stuff. I don't really know why, but uh, did, did you talk to... Uh, Chris Gray, who did so much research for me, uh, he talked to Marvin Buddy Wyatt, the last person to talk with JFK Jr. at Martha's Vineyard uh, Airport. Do you know? Do you know anything about him? Because supposedly something was going on there, where he, uh, you know, later he was unavailable, and Chris was amazing that he got a hold of him, but he didn't have much to say. But what do you know about Marvin Buddy Wyatt? Nothing. Um, what what I what I know is I, I don't know anything about him, and I don't want to prejudge. But I do want to say that you got contacted by somebody claiming to be um, Todd Bergen. Well, it's Todd, Todd Bergen's Bergen. email. I mean, it was a Todd Bergen email. Yeah, they replied. I to got I didn't I was looking for the Kennedy had over the course of 10 years had like 10 flight instructors. And the NTSB report goes into detail on each yeah. one of them and the, you know, contacted each one of them and got responses from each one of them. But one of them. Um, a guy named Josh Kallenberg, they couldn't locate. And the same public uh, private investigator that I hired, I also gave her that name. And she came back to me and said his record was the strangest thing that she had ever seen, that it was, this is what's what she said to me. She said it was like finding a footprint in the middle of the beach. 
with nothing leading up and nothing leading away. She found one document um, having to do with being a pilot, but none of, you know, there, there should have been 30 other documents leading up to that document and 30 documents leading away from it. And, you know, like I'm saying, private eyes have access to all sorts of stuff um, that we don't have access to. And she couldn't find anything on him. And then she told me that he was living across the street from me and encouraged me to go over and see him. And I said, no, thank you very much. Um, but then he turns up, I, I saw an internet video, right? A YouTube video or something by someone claiming to be him. And I, I don't believe that it's him. And I think, you know, I didn't go across the street because I felt like it was a trap. Uh, anyway, well, um, these, yeah. Anyway. I mean, yeah, it's, it's it's certainly reason to fear. I mean, I and I kind of forget the, the, the name of the guy now, but uh, Dylan Avery, who's been on my show, the director of Loose Change, he hired a private investigator to track down the family of a witness that died very mysteriously that heard explosions in Building Seven, and the vest, private investigator came back to him and resigned and said, "Never call me again." So, I mean, this, yes, this could be okay. scary stuff, you know. Yeah. Well, I've been getting a lot of that with my latest JFK video. Um, people yes. telling me, don't don't talk to me anymore. Well, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at something that says um, Bill Cooper got WCVB footage. Well, the footage yes. is in my video and, and it's readily, if you- if Somebody it, sent it to me too, yep, yep. You, John DiNardo got it, right? And he sent it. He sent it to both of us. Um, well, no, actually, a guy named uh, Scott Myers, who was a JFK assassination guy who's kind of vanished. Uh, but he back then, he was very interested. He was on one TV program that they did about uh, JFK Jr. where they actually raised a few questions. I can't remember the name of the uh, program. It, was, um, it, was, it wasn't on very long. But uh, he sent me the, the – and thank goodness that, that guys like that taped it originally because when researchers later tried to get footage – from those radio stations, all references, and there were a lot of them to the 9.39 p.m. phone call were excised out. When I contacted Chet Curtis, who's since deceased, he was the anchor during most, and he he mentioned the 9.39 phone call over and over again. Oh, no and he, he told me he didn't remember anything about it. <laughs> okay. He, he mentioned it over and over to say that he didn't remember anything about it. So, um, okay. DiNardo managed to get a tape from the guys who were in charge of keeping the records. And he paid for it and they sent it to him and that segment had been excised and he went down there and said, look, I paid for this. You have to give it to me. And the guy looks around and nobody's looking over his shoulder. So he gave him five VHS videotapes uh, and DiNardo sent them all to me. But um, I don't know. <laughs> Shall we talk about my new video? That's yeah, let, let's talk about that. We'll get back to Dave Kid Jr. if we have time later. So, uh, yeah, cause, so talk about, give us the title again and, and tell us what uh, what are you talking about in this? It's been well, almost 60 years now, but what, what do you discuss in the film? Well, it's called Breakthrough, and there's a reason that it's called Breakthrough. And, you know, like I said, I've been doing this stuff for 50 years. Um, and I've been serious about it the entire time, although I've worked on it and, and I retired seven years ago. And so for, for six years, this is all I did was going through this stuff and hammering it out. And so it's called breakthrough for the, the reason that it has all of these breakthroughs. And if you don't mind, I'll just start enumerating them. Please. 
But so one of the major breakthroughs is the discovery that the Zupruder film has been altered. And, you know, I don't know, there have been a number of people who have made that allegation with more and less evidence, but I don't remember the name. And I I do want to say that I don't take credit for being the first guy to, to start collecting the witnesses who said that the limousine stopped in front of the grassy knoll. And some guy went and got a hold of all four motorcycle cops and talked to them, managed to win their confidence. And, you know, all of these guys are senior citizens and figuring that they, they don't have too much life. If they're alive still. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, Fletcher Prouty, I assume lots and lots of people in your movie know who Fletcher Prouty is. And I'll say this Fletcher, because he'll come up in a minute anyhow, but Fletcher Prouty is Mr. X from the movie JFK. Yes. And he was the highest ranking CIA guy at the Pentagon. And his job, right, the CIA is not supposed to be at the Pentagon. He wasn't the highest ranking guy in the CIA, but he was in charge of getting the military to supply weapons to CIA covert operations. And um, so he's, he's in the movie JFK and... He lived his life without saying peep. And then he had a massive heart attack and they thought he was going to die. And they told him that they thought he was going to die. And he got to think about that for a long time. And then he didn't. He lived for at least another five years and maybe another 10 years. And during that time, he figured he had been handed this time for some reason. And it must be so that he could reveal all the stuff that he knew. And so he started revealing all of the stuff that he knew. and. I'm rather under the impression that these four motorcycle cops were probably feeling similarly much more loose lipped than they had been immediately after the assassination. And one of them describes as how the limousine, they all describe how the limousine stopped in front of the grassy yes. knoll. And one of them talks about how one of the cops got off his motorcycle and ran between the limousine and the, Cheney, secret, yeah, yeah. the secret service car and yeah. then ran back. Um, Senator Yarborough was did two things. First of all, he he wrote a very 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 angry Warren Commission affidavit. Yeah, ang furious at the Secret Service that they could have done such a miserable job and how they stopped the limousine in front of the grassy knoll. He says this in his Warren Commission affidavit, and then he went on Geraldo, and on Geraldo he describes it as six seconds. Um. In the meanwhile, you write all the, a lot of water under the bridge, but they've had, I forget how many years ago, um, it might've been 20 and, and it may have only been 10, but all of these reporters who were young at the time and who were, you know, <laughs> doddering along at the moment, four of them during their appearances at this conference described how the limousine stopped in front of the grassy knoll <laughs> and all of them were rather puzzled about it. But none of them really paused to to discuss the implications of that. Um, I don't. Jean Hill is depicted in the movie JFK. She's one of the, the, the lady in red. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the more outspoken witnesses who was standing on the grass median across from the grassy knoll. And Malcolm Summers was on the grass strip in front of the grassy knoll. And both of them are on video in my video. You get to see and hear both of them say that the the limousine stopped in front of the grassy knoll police chief curry's wife in her affidavit 
to the Warren Commission says that the limousine stopped in front of the grassy knoll. Well, if you watch the Zapruder film, there's nothing remotely resembling right. that. That car never slows down below eight miles an hour or 15 miles an hour, I think is a, probably a, a better estimate. Um, it does not slow down significantly in front of the grassy knoll in the Zapruder film. Now, you want to say something about that? Because I'm ready to run. Well, no, I, th I think that, uh, you know, I believe Vince Palarama, who's, who's done great work on the Secret Service, I believe he wrote a, a report years ago called the 57 witnesses. I believe he came up with 57 witnesses who said that the limousine stopped. And, oh. and these are people like, I believe one of them was uh, uh, the mayor's uh, Cabell's mayor Cabell's wife and people that were on all sides of it, but they all reported this thing. There's no way they all were mistaken. They're all unconnected to each other about something that significant. Clearly something went on. And, and that's the, really the main reason I think that people think the Zapruder film was altered because on the surface of it, the Zapruder film is what draw you described it earlier, drew most of us to conspiracy because his head goes backwards, obviously. And you're saying, well, how could Oswald have shot him from behind? His head is flying backwards at, with ferocious, you know, force. So, uh, but I don't know if they did that just to, you know, to cause controversy. But yeah, there's, and you can probably talk about the provenance of the Zapruder film and how uh, there's lots of questions about it and so forth. Well, let me interrupt you for a second. Um... I'm looking and seeing that somebody said something about Spotlight Magazine and Martin. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, address that. Yeah. Denial. Yes. Spotlight Magazine published art, this article citing this Angleton memo, and they got sued by the CIA and E. Howard Hunt. And Mark yes. Lane represented yes. Spotlight yes. Magazine. Mark he Lane was their attorney. Spotlight yes. Magazine. He represented Spotlight Magazine. And I'm going to bring it up again in a minute, but let me bring it up now and I'll just replay it that. The jury in that case found that the magazine was innocent. And in order to do that, they had to find that E. Howard Hunt was guilty of murdering the president, that he was in Dallas, that he was in Dealey Plaza, and that he was involved in the assassination. Well, the magazine had said all of those things. And if the jury found the magazine innocent of slander, they had to draw that conclusion. Um, so <laughs> anyway, and the, the Zapruder film. See, the thing is, you, you, you really need, it took me, it, it's been at least 10 years since um, Jim Fetzer was a good friend of mine. And he's one of the first people I heard. And it's at least 10 years that he started right. um, saying this. And, and what well, was probably longer than that. Yes, yeah, sure. Who, who did you find who had 50 witnesses or something? Vince Palarema, who I think, I think his, he's a secret service guy who read Survivor's Guilt, but I think. I think he wrote that. I think it appeared in the great Zapruder film hoax, which uh, Palomera. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm yeah, I'm very yeah. familiar, and I'm sure yeah, that I'm with, sure that I read it. Yeah, and, with Fetzer, because because I think that he also had the pig that don't lie or something by David Lifton, and lots lots of stuff in that book that uh, certainly makes you you wonder. I mean, I I don't really understand why they necessarily because uh, they left to me they left really incriminating evidence of conspiracy in. Exactly. And that, that's what you have to think about for 10 yeah. years. Well, let me ask you, and seriously, this is kind of, I do want to put you on the spot. <laughs> when you saw the Zapruder film, what did you think? What was your, well, I can tell you what my reaction was. I'm interested to hear yours. Well, as a, as a teenager, the first thing I thought uh, was, I mean, it did look a bit little, uh, but again, I was 18 or something like that. So I, uh, you know, when I first saw it is, uh, you know, in the mid seventies, but I, uh, I, I did think it looked a little, 
cartoonish, which a lot of people would later say it didn't look quite, you know, like I would expect it to. But yeah, the first thing that struck out is his head going backwards. Uh, because, you know, understanding physics to the degree I did, and that was one of the main arguments of the of the people that were talking about conspiracy, the law of physics were violated. And of course, other things like analyzing a single bullet theory and everything. But what strikes out at you is the head snap. And once people like Jack White, who doesn't get credit, I mean, if you heard of Jack White, Jack White was really before Fetzer. I think he was the first one to really work on this um on this film the same way he was the first one to work on uh, the, the Lee Harvey Oswald question and, and was instrumental in, in developing John Armstrong's Harvey and Lee theory. But Jack White doesn't get any credit. And he's also a good 9-11 guy and he's done lots of good things. He's deceased now, but uh, he, he was the first one really that he, like he, I think he, he said that there was like a, a, wit a row of maybe 15 witnesses or something alongside um, uh, uh, the Dealey Plaza alongside Elm street that, uh, don't move at all, like for I think, for a full second well, or something like that. I'm going to interrupt you. It's impossible, you, right? <laughs> um, oh, I, I wish I could, I'm not remember Devil's Chessboard. You remember the name? Yes, David Talbot. Yeah, uh -huh. David Talbot. Yes, David Talbot writes about how when he first saw the Zapruder film, he felt like the Warren Commission is a complete lie. Johnson appointed the Warren Commission. These guys, Johnson must have been involved in the Kennedy assassination. And when I saw it, that was exactly my response. Mm -hmm. And I was 20, but my response was the Warren, <laughs> Earl Warren lied. <laughs> Lyndon Johnson lied. Those guys are sure, guilty. Of yeah. They must have been participating in the assassination. And let me then point out two things. One is that they haven't released Oswald's W-2 forms. Yes. But they released the Zapruder film. Now that's <laughs> supposed to smell bad to you. That should smell bad to anyone. They released what they wanted us to have. They, right, mm -hmm. they, they altered it and then they handed it to us so that we could make two very, very, very false conclusions. And one of them is that the Secret Service is obviously innocent. When you look at the altered Zapruder film, if you could look at a Zapruder film that showed the Secret Service stopping in front of the grassy knoll, you would say, oh, my goodness, the Secret right. Service was in this. They were the leaders of it. Were, whoever the grassy knoll gunman was could not have fired that shot if they the Secret Service hadn't Absolutely. parked the car in front of the grassy knoll. So they're the leaders. Abraham Zapruder handed the film to them. Yes. And they took it out and got it altered. And then they handed it to the CIA. And uh, if, if there and if there had been a real investigation, which it obviously wasn't, the first people you would have looked at would be the Secret Service, because e even without knowing that there's there's video footage of the, of the limousine stopping, they had over six seconds to react. As Ralphie Arborough said, they did absolutely nothing. The the, the backup car was right. Uh, Kellerman did not jump over the seat and. Uh and blanket JFK, which he was instructed to do, Greer should have sped up out of there. Instead, he probably stopped the car. Uh, the, the people behind the limousine, except for uh, Clint Hill, who was way late when the damage was already done, ran to the and is now lying his ass off about it. Still, um, that's, oh, these, sure. these people there's, didn't do their job. There are photos showing Clint Hill riding on the back of the limousine yes. as it headed into yes. Dealey Plaza. That's right. And he abandoned that post until Kennedy was dead. Uh, and he, I got no use for any Secret Service man other than to put him up against a wall. Anyhow, 
Um, that's where you would look. And a lot of people don't, and there's, and I know within the community, I used to get many arguments, but a lot of people don't, for whatever reason, they don't want to go there. But again, they're, you know, you're talking about anti-Castro Cubans and all that stuff. And I've investigated they don't that. Go where? But they don't want to go to the secret service for, for whatever reason they want to, they feel like, uh, they, they did, oh, well. they know they, they didn't do anything, let alone their we, best. <laughs> we, we, we have to get beyond not being, you have to look at the evidence and see where it goes. I mean, I, I'm, I may have access to grind, but I, when I came into this thing, my reaction was that it was Lyndon Johnson, and I was persuaded that it was oh, Lyndon Johnson. Yeah. And everybody that my mentors, uh, Peter Dale Scott, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but yes, yes, in the movie JFK, um, Oliver Stone is when he made the movie was certain that Jay, that Johnson was involved, and I don't think he's so certain anymore. But it it doesn't matter whatever my preconceived notions were coming in, that's not what I came out with. But let me run through some of this, this other stuff. But, but so one of the breakthroughs, and you know, my apologies to your audience, you're, if you're just learning this, you're just learning this. It took me 10 years of thinking to, to develop what I felt was a really a, a solid understanding and approach to interpreting this particular information. And it's, it's in the context of a bunch of other stuff that I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, but so one of the breakthroughs is figuring out that we have been duped, that the Zapruder film was handed to us. They took out the limo stop, which is just, if you, I'm a video maker, right? I use Adobe After Effects. If you watch my videos, I create stuff to, to fill in the blanks of things that you, there's no evidence available showing you the actual event. So I create the actual events. Anyway, looking at the Zapruder film and figuring out how you would eliminate the limo stop, it's just mind boggling. It's one of the great masterpieces of film special effects in the history of the world. And it's from 1963, which makes it, well, I, I think it was released probably in 65 it might have not been released until 68 and it's my interpretation that it was re released in order to get people like me and talbot and joseph mcbride and, and anybody else that you care to name to to blame Jim johnson Friday. johnson won by a massive landslide at 64 and nixon won in 68 how do you <laughs> how do you explain that well i explain the zapruder film is certainly the thing that let the air out of out of my balloons um in terms of um well, I mean, I, when I when I first started looking, at, yeah, that was uh, again, I wasn't very sophisticated politically. So, and my family was Catholic, and I heard lots of talk in my family that uh, you know they hated Johnson, and uh, they from the time I was a little kid when it first happened, oh, right. I heard my relatives saying LBJ did it. So that was my first you know hunch on that on that level. So certainly all that came home when I when but I, I by the time I saw this approved, I'd already been reading. The books like uh, Rush to Judgment, Accessories After the Fact, you know. So I, I, I recognize there was obviously a conspiracy. And Chris Graves out there, I want to tell you, uh, I will get to, we'll get back to JFK Jr. He's got a million questions about that. And uh, so do other people. We'll, we'll try to get back to that. But at this point, I know. Well, so let's hurry along a little bit. And, mm -hmm. and let me run on to the next major breakthrough. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I want you to talk about you because you want to, you want to talk about your new film. And so we're going to talk about that. We'll get back to the JFK Jr. if we can. Oh, we we can if you know if, if we just push along push of course right if if we push it we can get there no problem anyhow um 
I want to say I have a friend. I, I have an acquaintance. His name is James Galbraith. He's a highfalutin. He, owned, he has a chair at the University of Texas. Um, he's the son of the famous Galbraith. And he told me that somebody, they, they declassified 200,000 documents and somebody took charge of sending a box of documents to, I don't know, 200 different credible researchers. And they sent one to him and he went through it and he found um, this October 4th, 1963 memo written by Maxwell Taylor to the Joint Chiefs saying that the president has discussed it and has decided and you are hereby commanded to get the U.S. out of Vietnam by the end of 1965. Yes. All decisions that you make from this memo on will be aimed at getting the United States out of Vietnam by the end of 65. Oswald got hired at the book depository six days later. Yeah. Now, um, there's a lot of really, really interesting background to this. In the movie JFK, um, Fletcher Prouty, Mr. X, describes to um, Jim Garrison how he was working, it, he, and he was one of the more literate people in the military, period, right? This guy read and wrote, and you know, he, he read books. Well, that's, that puts him at the top of a very short list. Anyhow, when Kennedy came up with this idea, um, McNamara says, oh, I want to go to Vietnam. Some, somebody came back from Vietnam and said, oh, this, things are terrible. And McNamara says, I want to go to Vietnam. And Kennedy says, oh, yeah, all right. Yeah, you go to Vietnam. And then he called Krulak, who was probably the highest military guy in the White House. And he tells Krulak, get together a crew. You're going to write McNamara's trip report for him. This is the story that Proudy tells. And so Krulak assembles this crew and Proudy is one of the people on the crew and they, they write a draft of what they think it is that Kennedy wants and they take it into Kennedy and Kennedy sits down with Krulak and says, no, no, yes, yes, no, yes, no. And hands it back to them and they go back and they rewrite it in order to make it conform with what it is that Kennedy is demanding from them and so they write this trip report saying that things are in vietnam are going great and they're going so great that we're going to be out by the end of 1965 yes and that we are deciding now that we are going that this is that's is correct the south vietnamese are doing so well that we are going to decide now and begin implementing now handing this thing in over to them entirely and we will have all u.s personnel out of Vietnam by the end of 65. And somewhere Proudy says that he had written that they would have all the military out. And Kennedy said, no, scratch military personnel. I want the CIA out also. However, so Proudy tells this story, right? They wrote up this trip report. Well, if you go to the FRUS, Foreign Relations of the United States, you know, Jesus, 20,000 pages, maybe 50,000 pages of of US government documents, and you find the trip report, that's not in it. Prouty describes writing it, and it's not in it. But Galbraith found the memo written by Taylor that references the yes. trip report and says this decision was made, 
and it's in the TRIT report, and this memo I'm writing to you is implementing that decision. That's a breakthrough. Well, it, 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 it is, and that, that's a, this further verification of the National Security Action Memorandum 263, which Oliver Stone makes a great deal about in JFK, which pretty clearly delineates the policy. The first thousand uh, out by the end of 63, uh, everybody out by 1965. Uh, but you still have people, you know, disinfo, real disinfo agents like Noam Chomsky and people like that who continue to, to perpetuate the lie. Oh, things wouldn't have been any different. You know, Kennedy wasn't going to get us out of Vietnam. I run into that. I said, what, what proof do you need? I mean, he was talked about it in a press, well, one of his last press conferences. Hang on. Hang on. I, I don't mean to defend Chomsky. Um, right. I certainly don't mean to defend Chomsky not leading the fight about Kennedy was killed by the military industrial complex. Yeah. 9-11 was an inside job. Yes. If you can't say that, you, yeah, I ain't got a lot of time for you. But, yeah, right. but, but on, at the, until Galbraith, and this is like two years ago, Galbraith found this, this memo. Two years ago, Galbraith found this memo. The, if you were Chomsky or me or anybody else and you went to the FRUS and you looked, 263 does not say everybody out. 263 says, go see the trip report. That's what 263 says. And when you go see the trip report, the trip report doesn't say what Prouty says he wrote there. And the trip report doesn't say what Taylor in this memo that Galbraith found says. So... That's freaking huge. And, you know, which is to say Chomsky never saw that Taylor memo. And if, if and if he if he read the FRUS and he, if he read the trip report, you can't criticize him for saying that Kennedy didn't make that decision because that decision has been expunged. Well, talk about describe who Galbraith because Galbraith is the son of uh, John Kenneth Galbraith, That's who was one of JFK's advisors. So who, describe who this Galbraith is, who he's become a big uh, assassination researcher himself. I don't. Has he? <laughs> well, I, I've I've read about him doing other things. I didn't realize he was behind the impetus behind this. But uh, I mean, that's uh, he's got to be very interested in it. And I don't think there's anybody else associated with Kennedy's White House that uh, any other kids, you know, well, unless you take yeah, RFK Jr. He's, or he's something. Being suppressed. He he wrote an article in the Boston Review. Have you ever heard of the Boston Review? Because <laughs> I never heard of the Boston Review. Yeah. And I had. I forget what it, I, I, I picked the right three words from the Taylor memo. Maybe I got them from Prouty. I, I'm feeling like I must have got those three words from Prouty and I Googled them and it brought up this Galbraith article in the Boston Review quoting the, t the Taylor memo that he had found. And this is like two years ago that this happened for me. Um, and so that I'm, I'm willing to let almost anybody off the hook for saying that, well, you know, the evidence doesn't show one way or the other. I just got to, I don't know if you know Robert Morrow, and I don't mean to say anything bad about him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm aware of him, morning. yes. I know him. <laughs> I got an email from him this morning saying, oh, Kennedy made the decision to to overthrow the, the government of DM. And yeah, that's, yeah. That's, he, that's part of correct. that. That's part of that crowd. They, they, again, that's they, not correct. Yeah. Well, he's a hardworking guy. And, and for my money, he's a hardworking guy. For my money, he's honest. And for my money, he comes up with a lot of interesting stuff. He just yeah. happens to be wrong about yeah. <laughs> almost everything. But anyhow, um, I think let's let's move on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I want to address T. Jordan has where the term grassy knoll come from. Unless you know something different, I think. 
it either came from uh, witness Bill Newman, who was one of the closest, uh, and he said it was up on that null deer there, there or something when he was testifying, or Billy Nolan Lovelady, who uh, is uh, has been a figure of controversy because he looked a lot like Oswald, and there's a figure in the Altian's doorway that uh, some people thought was Oswald, but some people think is Lovelady. I think he might have been the first one to call it the grassy knoll, but any, at any rate, it's gone down in, well, uh, in history Lane, now. Mark Lane says that he was interviewing one of the witnesses and that person used the term grassy knoll. And so he repeated it. Yeah. You know, it's not that unusual an expression that might not be the only source for it, but I can tell you that the, the book plausible uh, the book um, rush to judgment has that description in it. Um, But so moving right along. Yes. Yeah. So that's okay. So he's, uh... so the third breakthrough. Yeah, third, third breakthrough. Yeah, go ahead. Talk about it. Talk about it. Okay. So the first breakthrough is that the Zapruder film, that the limo stopped and the Zapruder film was given to us. It's psychological warfare being waged against your poor little head and mine by the military industrial complex with this piece of fraudulent material. Uh, the, the Zapruder film, the second breakthrough is that the McNamara trip report, which will be featured prominently in any remotely detailed scholarly book about Kennedy and Vietnam, is a fraud. That it does not show that Kennedy had made this decision to get the U.S. out. And you can't get that decision out of 263. You could only get it out of an authentic trip report Proudy says he put it in the trip report and it's not there. Uh, but Galbraith found the memo that sh- that quotes. So you're Max saying that you're Taylor saying the trip quoting, report was was edited by someone. They just took like, like they edited a lot of the Warren Commission testimony. They just took it out and the FBI. No, it well. it's a fraud. They got out white out and they whited out the part that says right. all personnel out by the end of 65. And then they cut a piece of paper and typed on it and put it on there. And they it's a fraud. As the Zapruder film is a fraud, the trip report is a fraud. It's psychological warfare being waged against the consciousness of the entire population of the planet, for that matter, eh? Anyhow, um, I want to move on to the perps. Please, please do. We're all waiting to hear. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, you know, I made this movie, Dark Legacy 2, that was originally called um, JFK to the Bush connection that waded through all of this documentation showing that Bush was involved in the Kennedy assassination and the, the you know focusing center the centerpiece of that movie is the Hoover memo written by J. Edgar Hoover I think five days after the assassination signed by J. Edgar Hoover that says that they called Bush into it says this information was relayed by the, and I forget the guy's name, he's the number two guy at FBI, to Mr. George Bush of the CIA. Well, if it doesn't say telephonically, it was relayed in person. If the FBI talks to somebody on the phone, they say telephonically. Well, it doesn't say telephonically. Um, so they called who, they must have called him into the FBI headquarters, because if you want to find the number two guy in the FBI, that's where you got to go. And he says he told Bush, about how they had investigated Bush's people, um, all of, geez, I think virtually all of whom 
say that Bush was involved in Operation Mongoose, that he was in the head of hiring. You can find any number of sources saying that George Bush was doing that. But here is a memo signed by J. Edgar Hoover naming Bush. If they called Bush into FBI headquarters to give him a report on the CIA's misguided anti-Castro Cubans, otherwise known as Operation Mongoose, they might, you know, you don't call up the CIA and say, send somebody who doesn't know anything about this stuff. That suggests, I think it very, very powerfully implicates that Bush was a supervisor of Operation Mongoose. In any case, um, you can find six members of Operation Mongoose who say they were in Dealey Plaza, and it's probably the same six and maybe more who say that Bush was a supervisor and in charge. Marita Lorenz is one of the people who I will yes. quote, um, right? But she's famous. She wrote a book and... and um, she told me that um, she that Bush was a supervisor. Um, she says all sorts of. She says uh, just Marita Lorenz. Uh, I forget the name of the book, but Marita Lorenz. She was Frank Sturgis's girlfriend. She was part of Operation Mongoose. She was told to get into one of two station wagons that were full of men and guns and drove into Dallas and went to a hotel, to our motel. And she says, Jack Ruby came walking in and E. Howard Hunt came, and Oswald was there. And E. Howard Hunt came walking in and started passing out maps and money. And when they were done, she told Sturgis, I didn't come here to kill the president. I want out. And Sturgis says, oh, no, 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 no. We're just going to be decoys. We're not going to do the shooting. We're just going to be decoys. That's all in Marita Lorenz's book. And, I, you know, I recommend it um, not as highly as Plausible Denial, but it's a it, it's a good background. Well, book. Plausible Denial, Marita Lorenz, it, Lorenz is, is mentioned uh, quite a bit in that as well. Oh, boy, she sure it, yes. is. Thank yes. you for mentioning it. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, um, there's another FBI memo that says that this guy got a phone call from Mr. George Bush of the CIA an hour, 45 minutes after it was announced that Kennedy was dead. So this would be 1.15. He got a, uh, right. a phone call from Mr. George Bush of Zapata Oil Company, Houston, Texas, um, saying that he was going to be in Dallas that night. So you and, <laughs> and Joseph McBride, the guy who wrote the article in The Nation, you know, he's the nation. And when and Bush, I think, was running for president. Yeah, he was running for president against Clinton at the time. So if he gets a phone call from the nation, he's got to he can't ignore it. And McBride says, I want to know where you were the day Kennedy got shot, because because uh, we have this other stuff that suggests that you were in Dallas. And Bush didn't answer. But his spokesman said that he was somewhere in Texas. Well, if you were in Dallas and were making phone calls to the FBI, you remember. I mean, you know, I, I, anybody your age and mine knows exactly where they were when they found out that Kennedy was dead. Right. And on and on and on, the, the, the killer, as far as I'm right, I made a 70-minute video accumulating the evidence suggesting, I think, proving that George Bush Sr. was involved in the Kennedy assassination. And then um, somebody discovers that the Dallas Morning News 
published an advertisement that Bush was speaking at the Sheraton Hotel in Dallas the night before the assassination. So we have a Dallas Morning News article that puts him there the night before. We have an FBI memo that puts him there the day of. And then um, Jim Garrison in Rush in, in on the trail of the assassins. Uh, thank you. On the trail of the assassins <laughs> <laughs> describes a guy who came rushing out of the Dal Tex building and who was arrested. And Roger Craig was Garrison discovered that, you know, that the police were not going to cooperate with him. They wouldn't give him the arrest reports from Dealey that day. He couldn't believe that. Here he is, a district attorney. He'd never been denied such access. But it, uh, he woke up one day and said, wait a minute. It, it, I know some of these cops. And it, he's a district attorney. He's used to working with cops. And he's used to knowing that some cops are honest and some cops are not. And nobody's perfect in any case. But he becomes very good friends with this guy named Roger Craig. And one yes. day it shortly after they refused to hand him the arrest reports, he calls up Roger Craig and says, wait a minute, you and your friends, you were all over Dealey Plaza. You probably know people. Anyway, talk to the guys you know and see if they arrested anybody. And he talks to his uncle, whose name is Vaughn. And Vaughn is the guy who arrested the guy. As a... Vaughn says that Bush came running out of the Daltex building looking so guilty that the crowd grabbed him and handed him over to Vaughn. And Vaughn is walking him across the street to the sheriff's station to be you know, formally charged and whatnot. And Bush explains to him that he's an independent oil contractor from Houston. Well, now you can't persuade me that there are two CIA agents whose cover is that they are independent oil contractors from Houston. Well, the, this, the, what, 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 this, this report of him being taken out of the Daltex building, uh, who, who, that came from Garrison? Who did that come from? Garrison talks about it at some length. In Ontario, okay. I have read that Garrison book in a long time. Calls okay. it, Garrison calls it the most important arrest made that day. Hmm. And Garrison got his information from Roger Craig, and Roger Craig yes, Roger wrote Craig was an article that got published on rat something. Anyway, if you type in Roger Craig. Well, right, um, Roger Craig, I mean, I, I've had Roger Craig Jr. on my show a couple of times. Steve Cameron has worked with him, and they uh, he finally published Roger's uh, unpublished manuscript, When They Kill a President. I I wrote the preface to it. Gary Shaw wrote the forward. So I know them well, and I, Roger, Roger Craig <laughs> was definitely... Do. Yeah, Roger Craig was unquestionably murdered, and they claimed he killed himself. And his son, if you talk about the, he'll tell you about the description of how they met. It's just possible. There's, there's no question he was killed. But T. Jordan wants to know, and I'm sure you can address this better than me. Most of the, uh, these, these suggestions that Bush was involved comes from a photograph that was taken near. The, I don't think it was on the steps. Was near the depository building. It looks like a young, you know, how old was was Bush 35, 40 in 1963, something like that. Something uh, like that. Yeah, uh, that looks like him. But uh, what what do you know about the photograph? Um, I'll, I've seen it a lot. I know that I think it looks more like my dad than it looks like Bush. But, you know, mm -hmm. my dad and Bush were had similar hairlines and, you know, similar noses and similar cheekbones um, and a similar chin. But now, this is, this is opening up a little bit of a rabbit hole, but it's my observation that I, you, can't, you can't persuade me that 
Bush went through what Garrison describes. Garrison describes him being led into the police station. If there was a mugshot taken or fingerprints or anything else, they, they immediately, well, they're, they're no longer extant. He was then, according to Garrison, hustled out the back and put into a police car where he was jeered by the crowd. So he was jeered going in. He was arrested by the crowd. He was jeered going in and he was jeered coming out. You can't persuade me that he then la, 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 went over and stood in front of the book depository. One of those two stories. It, now, you got that? One. Two. Um, oh, geez. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really, 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 by the way, impressed at how much you, you, you sold me yourself to me as a JFK Jr. expert. You wrote the introduction to Roger Craig's <laughs> well, manuscript. I mean, I, I've been doing this for you know, uh, you know okay. a, a long, long time. I started when I was a teenager. Allow me, allow me to take off my hat. <laughs> I'm impressed. I, I wish that was in my resume. Anyhow, um, uh, these guys. Oh, so, Tosh Plumley. You know Tosh Plumley? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay, Tosh Plumley describes, of course you do, <laughs> describes flying an airplane into Dallas. I forget what mafiosi he says he has in the backseat. You probably know. Doesn't matter. But I, don't, I don't vouch for Plumley or anything else or his story, but it's an interesting story, which is that he says this guy in the back told him that they were in Dallas to try to intercept the shooters, um, right? That they understood that there was- well, He was a, a hero. <laughs> well, yeah, <clears throat> they understood that there was a rogue element that was sure. gonna try to kill the president course, right, yeah. and they were there to try to stop them. That's Bush's cover. That's Hunt's cover. That's Lansdale's cover is that they were there to try to stop the real shooters. And if you're, if that's your cover and you can show photographs of somebody who looks just like you, not in the third floor, in the third floor of the Dow mm -hmm. Tex building or in the sixth floor of the book depository or being arrested coming out of the book depository, you're in like sin. The, there is a picture of a guy on the grass meridian in front of the grassy knoll wearing an E. Howard Hunt Halloween costume. He's got the Tyrolean hat that Hunt always wears. He's got the dark glasses that Hunt always wears. He's got the trench coat. You can find 30 pictures of Hunt wearing that uniform and there that guy is standing on the grass. Well, Hunt's son says that's him in the, the parade of guys who were arrested behind the grassy knoll. Um, Jack Anderson says his video analysis shows that's Hunt in that picture. Um, Jesus Angleton says he was there as a participant in the assassination, not in trying to stop it. So that that guy on the grass meridian is a double. And I'm inclined to think then, based on that, that it will and that that Bush is Bush had a double standing in front of the. 
the book depository. Well, I, I just would just want to, because with the, with the Bush thing, I'm certainly no fan of Bush. Read my book, Hidden History, and I talked about uh, horrible things that he did. Certainly no, no fan of the Bush crime family. But um, wh why would he, first of all, it seems like, unless we just don't know how, what his meteoric rise was up in the CIA, because he, he served one term in Congress later and then pops up as the CIA director. Briefly, uh, uh, right, right, right. So, <laughs> how so, did he qualify for that yeah, promotion? Exactly. So, so, but um, what, whatever. His, let's say he was just much higher up the chain at the CIA than we realized at that time at a pretty young age. Why would he be in the third floor of a Delta? Why would he be on the spot like that? I, I would think they'd want to remove people who are. Was he? I certainly wasn't a shoe. Somebody, somebody messaged here that Bush couldn't hit the side, bright side of a bar. Well, that would be, you know. That would be incredible if Bush was one of the gunmen. But what was what was he doing on that? Was he like personally supervising an assassin? Well, you didn't watch my movie. <laughs> no, I, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I have well, not, that's so. okay. Um, but but please do because I will. A, that's I will. a really important question, and it's what it's what I assumed. You know, I'm it, when I made Dark Legacy, the first one, when I made JFK to the Bush connection, I assumed that Bush was involved as a supervisor, but in Dark Legacy and JFK to the Bush Connection, there's a documentation of 14 shots from behind that missed. Oh, so the guy shooting from behind was not a marksman, apparently. Uh, or And the guys shooting from behind were apparently not marksmen. A, B, I, I, was, I taught English and history for LA Unified, and I taught in the most economically disadvantaged school, e disadvantaged schools in Los Angeles, which is saying a mouthful, right? There are some very, 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 very severely economically disadvantaged schools in the LA Unified System. And I taught at the poorest of them. And I had students who were the captain of the debate team was a gangster, okay? <laughs> Anyhow, my debate team, we had the only public school debate team in Los Angeles and the captain. We debated the richest kids in L.A., the most privileged and richest kids in L.A. And the captain was a gangster. And he explained to me. And not in this context, just independently, I did add one plus one. But he explained to me that in his experience as a gang member, if you wanted to sit down at the table if you wanted to sit down and get high with the big guys, with the OGs, you had to have committed a murder. And they wouldn't let you in the room unless you had committed a murder. Well, you know, the... So this was Bush's initiation. <laughs> it's called making your bone. Uh -huh. Are you not familiar with that term? Making sure. your bone. Sure. Well, it turns out the mafia didn't invent it. That is to say, the Italian mafia didn't invent it. The English mafia, the British mafia invented it. And Bush was a member of that crew. And the Kennedy assassination is how he made his bone. And, you know, let me say that from the start, I assumed that it, I, I've looked at it. And his father was a senator. His father was yes. the right hand man to V. Howard Hunt, somebody. It has that on the screen. His yeah, Karen Cobb, Prescott Bush was his father. He was a longtime senator, powerful senator. Yeah. Oh, but he was, no, he was, he was, he, he was Harriman's partner in Brown Brothers Harriman. He yes. ran, 
He was the CEO of Union Bank of New York, which was seized by Hoover in 1942 as a Nazi asset. And I, I don't Nobody. know, speaking of, speaking of Harriman, I just want to interrupt you, that uh, my friend John Barber, I don't know if you John Barber, former, oh, yeah. real great guy, great friend of mine, nine, just turned 90 years old, still sharp as a tack. And uh, he he was the only person to interview Jim Garrison after the, the Shaw trial, and he worked with him closely. And he has now revealed that uh, Jim Garrison told him that the, 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 the big wig behind, he believed that the big enchilada, as Dean Andrews would say, behind the assassination was Avril Harriman, just for what it's worth. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, how, John Barber is on my email list. We've exchanged emails 20, 30 times, <laughs> and he has not told me that. Well, I don't think he's told a lot of people, so. <laughs> so. Well, I don't, can, anyway, never mind. The point <laughs> is, guess what? So did Jesus, James Angleton said the same thing. And any number of other people. Um, Kennedy had a CIA guy. I got the book on my shelf. It's not a name that I have on the tip of my tongue, and it's not a name that anybody else has. The Corson, I think, is maybe his name. He was the highest CIA guy that was in Kennedy's office on a regular basis, and he didn't have. I'm trying to not get distracted. He didn't have. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, what was I talking about? <laughs> uh, you're, well, I, well, there's a couple of people I wanted to wait. There's, uh, you know, people keep asking about the umbrella man who has been, uh, was not oh, Stephen Wynn. I can tell man. you We're that. not going to talk about that. We don't have time. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. don't have time to talk about yeah. the umbrella man. He was one of the Cubans. For sure, he yeah. was a member of Operation Mongoose. Oh, wait. And, and his job was to signal, here comes the limousine. Right, exactly. That was his job, was to announce to the shooters, here it comes. Jim Mars discovered, and you can see it in the Zapruder film, that they painted a yellow spot on the curb and told the shooters three shots. When the limo gets to the first yellow spot, you shoot. When it gets to the second yellow spot, you shoot again. When it gets to the third yellow spot, you shoot again. And that's how we make it sound like. Well, it wasn't There's stopping the rain. It was a sunny day. So I'm sorry. <laughs> He wasn't stopping the rain. It was a sunny day. You know, so. Yes, he was signaling to the shooters, this is yeah. this is Kennedy's car. It's not Cabell. It's not Curry. It's not Senator so-and-so. This is Kennedy's car. Get your finger on the trigger. Um, but I got distracted. What were we talking about, Kennedy? Uh, I Bush don't know. That, but I know, I know you want to. Yeah, I, I think well, we were talking about Harriman and then went to something else, I think. but uh, Oh, Harriman. Right. Yeah. That's what we were talking about. Corson. Yes. Told it. It's on, in one of my books by one of my what I consider reliable sources. Um, said, told Kennedy that Harriman and Lodge murdered DM. And I have no doubt that, that that was the case. I'll tell you what else. And it's not like, anyway, it, this is a really, really fundamental and important and absolutely not known fact, which is, but, you know, I, I read thousands of documents from this period of these meetings where these guys are talking about all this stuff back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it was very, very, very clear. A couple of things. One is that if you, Murder DM. <laughs> then what were you going to do? Because all the generals were scumbags and and were regarded as were were regarded as scumbags by the Vietnamese people. And you're going to make one of them without an election. You're going to put one of them in charge of the government, and that's going to be more popular than DM. 
Uh, maybe not. The, the reason that Lodge and Harriman murdered DM is that there were all of these reports that DM was negotiating with Ho. And I don't think there can be any question that DM was negotiating with Ho because Kennedy told him, we're getting out. And if you, you know, we're going to be out by the end of 65. Now, if you got any brains at all, you go to Ho and you tell Ho that you will order us to be out by 65 if he will give you, you know, a position in the new government. And so Ho was, so DM was doing that. And there were all these reports coming in saying, DM's doing that, DM's doing that, DM's doing that. And Kennedy would sit there and say, okay, 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 all right, okay. And then and let's talk about the Voting Rights Act. Um, that right, Kennedy was not did not respond in any way that any of these reports should be considered to have um, any substance whatsoever. Anyhow, so I want to move on to the killers. Yes, please do. We we all want so, to know that. <laughs> so we we've identified Bush as much as one would be inclined to think that he wouldn't be there. He was a terrible shot. Well, that's what the evidence shows is that he was a terrible shot. There were no, Kennedy was not hit from behind. Um, David Lifton thinks that the bullet wound that Kennedy supposedly had in the, his back was a fake. Right. Yes. Which means that he didn't get hit from behind, which means there were 14 shots at least that missed. Those 14 shots that we know about that missed. Um, so, and he, so, and he was making his bone and he, blah, blah. Let's move on to E. Howard Hunt. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know what people know about E. Howard Hunt. He was the head of the Watergate burglars. And as the head of the Watergate burglars, he did a hit on Richard Nixon. The, the, the Watergate break-in was, was planned and carried out in order to bring down Nixon because Nixon was trying to act like president and pretend like he had some say-so about the decisions that were being made. He sent his lawyer to the head of Eastern Airlines, which was a Rockefeller firm at the time, and demanded a million dollars in cash. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. He's got to go. Anyway, um, Hunt's son, as I mentioned, has ID'd him in the, the photos of the tramps. Jack Anderson hired uh, this high-level, the 3M subsidiary to analyze the film, the, the pictures of the tramps. And 3M said, yep, that's Hunt. Um, like I said, Angleton, Jesus Angleton, the head of counterintelligence, wrote this memo saying that that was Hunt. And if you can manage to get your hands on Hunt's first autobiography, there's a picture of him as a sniper. He didn't put that in any of the subsequent books after Dick Gregory and Mark Lane started identifying him as one of the tramps. He stopped promoting the notion that he had been a sniper during World War II. Um, and then in, in the Spotlight magazine trial, he had, the, the book lays out that he had five different alibis. And as I mentioned, based, I'm sure, largely on his five alibis and the testimony of Marita Lorenz, um, the jury found that he was guilty. Essentially, they had to. Um, what now? So I'm, I'm going to just roll along if nobody minds. Keep, Do you mind? Keep going. Okay, David Morales. There's a book called RFK Must Die. Yes. And it has Robert Blair Kaiser. Yep. I'm sorry. Robert Blair Kaiser. Yep. That I th wasn't I think, I think, wasn't a Scottish that? guy. Okay. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. Okay. Sorry about that. Go ahead. Shane O'Sullivan. 
Oh, Shane was yes, of course. I know Shane. Yes, filmmaker too. You yeah. do know Shane. Yes, yes. You and I are gonna have to talk anyway. <laughs> <coughs> he 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 and I have some stuff we need to share. Um. Anyway, David Morales. He Shane O'Sullivan in his movie RFK Must Die interviews Morales's two closest associates. One of his is his lifelong best friend, and the other one is his end of life business partner. And, you know, both of them spent a lot of time with him and knew him very, very well. And both of them described the same incident where they're with him and he's very drunk. And he says that we killed that son of a bitch in Dallas. And he says something about Bobby as well. It's less clear what he says about Bobby. Um, but he they both came away with a very, very clear impression that he had been involved in certainly the assassination of John Kennedy Sr. and probably the assassination of Robert Kennedy. Um, let's see, is there anything else to say about him? Yeah, well, he, he, he got subpoenaed to testify in front of uh, the Senate committee investigating the Kennedy assassination. And he went to Washington and he had Dinner went out for drinks with some of his CIA pals and was dead 12 hours later. And he went, flew back to Texas to his home. And his friend is on in this video, um, Shane O'Sullivan video, describing how furious he was that it took the ambulance five hours to get there when they called him and said, this guy's dying. Uh, he needs help. Um, but he, his friend also describes how he says that he had drinks with his CIA buddies and he uh, had been feeling badly ever since. Moving right along, Ed Lansdale was, you can find the documents. Ed Lansdale was the head of Operation Mongoose. Some people in your audience will be uh, familiar with Operation Northwoods. Lansdale yes. wrote Operation Northwoods. He was, if you look at the title of the guy who wrote it, it's his name isn't on it, but that's his title. And for those of you who aren't familiar, Operation Northwoods was a really insane plan. And for those of you who people poo-poo Sandy Hook and uh, Boston Mommy, all the people that speculated about those events, that was pretty much what they were speculating then. They were creating a false impression that Cuba was committing all these crimes. And I think the plane crashes and murders, I, it was kind of unclear how many would be fake and how many would be real. But the whole thing was to try to create you. the well, impression. You, you can Google it and read it. Yeah. <laughs> it's very explicit. Yeah. They suggested, the, the, the memo, Operation Northwood, suggests that they should get planes get a plane full of students and fly it over Cuba and shoot it down and blame it on the Cubans and use it to justify an invasion of Cuba. They say that, well, maybe we should have the, the students get on a plane and then divert that plane and yes, then take yes. another plane. So it's much more relevant to 9-11 yeah. than it is to anything else. Um, and that's, I think, the context that it belongs in. In any case, Lansdale was the head of Operation Mongoose. And there's, you know, I'm telling you, I went through these thousands and thousands of pages of FRUS, and it's in there in black and white. Lansdale is the head of Operation Mongoose. That means, well, Hunt is involved in Operation Mongoose. It, everybody knows that, it, right? He was, at the, he was one of the officers of the Bay of Pigs. He will tell you about his involvement um, in Operation Mongoose. All of these people in Mongoose say that Bush was involved in Mongoose. And Lansdale, oh, wait, hang on, 
two things. Lansdale was the head of Mongoose. And Prouty, we all know who Fletcher Prouty is by now, I hope. Prouty sees a picture of this guy walking along down the street in um, Dallas. And he's walking right by the tramps who have been arrested. Yes. And Prouty looks at that and says, OMG, that's Lansdale. And Lansdale had a very large class ring. He had a very distinct stoop. He had a very distinct haircut that he never changed and always wore the same haircut. And Prouty sends copies of this photo to Krulak and says, this photo was taken in Dallas shortly after the assassination. Do you recognize anybody in it? And Krulak says, OMG, of course, that's that's Lansdale, the haircut, the ring, the stoop, the way he's holding his left arm. Apparently he'd been injured, so he held his, his left arm in a peculiar and particular way. That's Lansdale. What was he doing in Dallas the day of the assassination, writes Krulak. Well, Krulak knew good and goddamn well what Lansdale was doing on the streets of Dallas, but he didn't write that. He just wrote the question, what was he doing on, on the streets of Dallas? But this is the highest ranking military guy in the White House. Krulak, I mean to say, is the highest ranking military guy in the White House. Um, Prouty is the highest ranking CIA guy at the Pentagon. We're not fooling around here. This is really, 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 really high level, um, high credibility stuff that says that Lansdale, the supervisor of Mongoose, was supervising these guys who were all on his Operation Mongoose team at the highest levels. Now, there's also video. It's in my video. Um, I got it from NBC News or something. They published a, a DVD with their outtakes from the day of the, from Wright Dallas, the day of the Kennedy assassination. And somebody alerted me to it. And some Galbraith told me where I could find it. <clears throat> I sent Galbraith a still. And I believe that I believe that that's correct. Um, and I sent it to Galbraith and I said, do you recognize this guy? And he says, oh, hell yeah, that's Lance. Uh, sorry, that's um, what's his name? Shackley. That's Ted Shackley. Mm -hmm. Now, Ted Shackley was called the blonde ghost. And the reason he was called the blonde ghost is he would be he would freak out anytime anybody raised a camera vaguely in his direction he was very very the thing he was most famous for well he re, he ran operation phoenix in vietnam where they tortured forty thousand people to death he should be famous for that but he is more famous obviously it's a much less serious charge um, of being just freakishly paranoid of cameras and i'm I have very little doubt that the reason he's freakishly paranoid of cameras is because if people knew what he looked like, they're liable to see this video of him being arrested outside the book depository. The narration says he's being arrested as a shooter outside the book depository. Now, I'm very open to the suggestion that the guy we're seeing arrested is a double. But if he's a double, he looks a hell of a lot more like Ted Shackley than the guy who's supposed to be Bush. Bush is double. Looks a lot like Bush. This guy looks exactly, he looks so much like Ted Shackley. You could never show it to anybody in my experience. You can't show it to somebody who knows what Shackley looks like and not have them say, that's him. That's Shackley. Anyhow, 
Um, the point is that, so you were asking, how could Bush, right, and very, very reasonably and laudably, it's a, it's a really, really intelligent question and, and natural question. What the hell would this son of a senator be doing? Hold on, I, hold on a second. Keep talking. I, 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 th- I do something. Why would this guy have blood on his hands, right? These, if, you, if you're the son of a senator who is the, the co-worker of one of the, of the one of the richest, most powerful people in the United States, that is he, Averill Harriman. Those guys, they don't take out the garbage. They don't do the dishes. They don't shine their shoes. They don't vacuum the floor. They don't get their hands dirty. Sorry about that. They don't get their hands dirty. What the hell would he be doing in Dallas? And um, the answer, there's two answers. One is that he was making his bone. And the second one is that if you think about it for a split second, nobody who was a competent hitman is going to take that job. Anybody who is competent is intelligent enough to be regarded as competent is going to look at this assignment and say, well, you can't let me live after you pay me to kill the president. You're going to have to kill me. I can figure that out. So they couldn't hire somebody. They couldn't hire somebody. They had to get men whose loyalty was so deep and unquestionable that if they told him, you take this rifle and you go up to that floor and you open the window and you lean out and you start firing and don't worry about it because we got E. Howard Hunt on the grassy knoll and we got Greer driving the limousine and he's going to park it in front of the grassy knoll and that limousine ain't going nowhere until Kennedy's dead. There are people who who say the driver turned around with a gun and shot. Kennedy well, yeah, that's a Christian Nordona. And, and Bill I don't Cooper, find that remotely uh, credible. Bill Cooper originally thought that as well, and I believe he 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 ended up uh, backing off on that later. Yeah, I mean those are those are, uh, but but having Bush as a gunman isn't that far removed from that. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's gonna that would shock a lot of people. I'm sorry. What would no? I said, but 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 having George H. W. Bush as a gunman isn't that far removed from having the driver because it's something that most people would find. Wow, that's really out there. Well, well, and this is this is the world we live in, right? You have these wackadoodle conspiracy theorists, but the things that the wackadoodle conspiracies theorists are saying are not more wackadoodle than 9-11. They're not more wackadoodle than the notion that Bush would have been wielding a rifle in Dealey Plaza, go on to become the head of the CIA, and then become president of the United States. We live in a world where wackadoodle is normal. The thing is that you have to be evidence-based. Right. And as, well, Mar- said, as Mark Lane said in the original Rush to Judgment, he wrote in, the, in, the, in the, the introduction to that, he said, because the crime was never investigated and it wasn't, it, this, you're, you're providing fertile ground for speculation. And we got sure. 60 years worth of speculation. That's all we can do. You said that before, that this crime wasn't investigated. And I disagree. I think the, the Warren Commission documents, the Warren Commission documents have, it, I think, three affidavits that say the limousine stopped. Oh, OK. Yeah. So. Right. The, the crime has been investigated and it's been pretty well investigated. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. The FBI agents who interviewed Oswald when he came back from Russia mm-hmm. are in the Warren Commission documents. And it's very, 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 very clear 
that when Oswald came back from Russia, he was put on the FBI payroll. His job was to tell them, if you get contacted by the Russians, tell us. You're hired. You're going to get a monthly check. And all you got to do is, if you get contacted by the Russians, tell us. Angleton, somebody sent me this, and it's you, you got to watch two hours of the movie to get to this minor point. But somebody pointed out to me that if there was anybody in the country who was going to hire Oswald, it was Angleton, who's the, whose job is to catch Russians who come to the United States and claim to be defectors, but are in fact spies. And Oswald inexplicably gets taken by the hand by, um, come on. Uh, Dear Warnschild? Yes, thank you. And escorted <laughs> George into, Warnschild. So, into the his white best Russian buddy, camp. His best buddy who dated Jack all these... Kennedy's mother. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Intr introduced to all of these um, white Russians, and he, mm -hmm. you know, has friendly conversations with all of these white Russians. Well, he's getting paid by the CIA and by the FBI, and eventually he's getting paid by the FBI to spy on the CIA. Anyhow, um, you're going to have to watch the movie to get to all that kind of detail. Um, but we were talking about the fact that um, they couldn't get anybody to do the shooting. They had to hire CIA officers to do the shooting. And, you know, Hunt was an, an experienced sniper. So putting Hunt on the grassy knoll, putting Greer behind the wheel and saying, you're going to park it and you're not going to leave Dealey Plaza while Kennedy is alive. Now, I'm very open to the suggestion that if Hunt had missed, if right if they they stopped for six seconds after 20 seconds the driver would have shot kennedy i'm i'm i i'm i would surmise that that would absolutely be the case but <laughs> you know there was a shot from the grassy knoll and we got 50 witnesses at least that say so right, right? we got all the medical evidence in in from dallas that kennedy had a wound on the right side of his head the driver couldn't have inflicted that wound so there's no there there is plenty of evidence that the driver did not shoot kennedy and there's a just a the, right. the evidence that you would expect in a thorough investigation which there was that kennedy was shot from the grassy knoll um did i say everything i wanted to say about oswald in the end oh oswald <laughs> the earl warren is interviewing he's there when they are are interviewing the fbi agent who oswald got arrested passing out leaflets in front of the unemployment office right right everybody remember that yeah. and they took him down and an fbi agent went and visited him quigley. and didn't yeah. write I'll, any yeah. notes about any of it yeah, that was agent quigley called, yeah then got called i'm sorry did you name the the yeah, the FBI agent was named, was named Quigley, and then and then in when Oswald was at, was at, Oswald was in New Orleans, there was an FBI agent named Warren DeBreeze, who uh, well, later let's not go into that. Yes, the, okay, all that's okay, true. Okay. And you know, okay. I'll yeah. take my hat off and throw it across the room. You, I'm, I'm, I've talked to a lot of people who are very, very, very knowledgeable. I've never been more impressed um, oh, than I am you. by the stuff that's come out of your mouth today. <laughs> Anyhow, oh my goodness. Ratville. <laughs> you, don't you recognize Ratville? Roger Craig's 
manuscript is is published on a website called Ratville. Anyhow, was it okay? Um, this guy, I, if you say it's Quigley, it's Quigley, is sitting on the stand getting examined by the Warren Commission, and Earl Warren is not happy about the story that he's telling, and he wants this guy to know you on a Saturday. You went down to the Dallas, uh, the New Orleans police station, and you went in and you sat down and you interviewed this guy and you didn't make any notes. Now, why did you go down to interview this guy? And the agent says, oh, well, you know, we like to keep the citizens informed. And we had information that this citizen needed information about how the what what it was that the FBI would involve itself in and what they wouldn't involve itself in. So I went down there to inform him that the FBI was not going to become involved in his case. And Warren says, you don't say. That's in the Warren Commission <laughs> documents. You don't say. And if, you know, you and I are older than a lot of the people in the audience, perhaps. But when I was a kid, if somebody said, you don't say, they meant you're a lion so-and-so. That, that's how that translates, at least when in the vocabulary in the patois when I was growing up. Anyhow, um, that this is not to the point. The point is that they couldn't find anybody to do the assassination because any competent individual would understand very, very, very clearly that they're going to be murdered. They, they're not going to see the sun come up. And, oh, my goodness, it, it's in my video. You need to watch my video. They, you, there's, there's testimony from the guy who was hired to kill. He was supposed to go to the rail yard and meet the guys who got off of the boxcars well, and definitely have to watch your movie what, what what do you what do you think of it some white wolf wants to know what, what are your impressions of garrison oh hero start to finish yep you know he, he did the best job he could under the circumstances which yeah. were horrible so, they were killing his witnesses you had governors of, of oh all goodness. these states that weren't extraditing including reagan and Connolly, who was shot the, the only <laughs> thing i got against garrison is that he told john barber and he didn't tell me <laughs> That he told John Barber was, a lot of stuff he didn't tell anybody else. <laughs> that Harriman was the guy. Well, God damn it. What is Barber doing? How come he hasn't? Uh, how come he's not on the phone with me right now discussing our plan to take all of this stuff and turn it into a video? Anyhow, what's the point? Bush is. The point is, these guys did not tell the New York Times what to do with their coverage on the Kennedy assassination, right? The, the New York Times coverage of the Kennedy assassination the day of was really excellent, right? They they quoted the Dallas doctor saying that Kennedy got shot from the front right and he yes. had a huge exit wound in the back of his head. That's all in the November 23rd extra edition or afternoon edition anyway of, of the New York Times. But, you know, the next day, all that truth that was in there evaporated and well, Lansdale didn't have the clout, the juice, and certainly not any of the people who worked for him didn't have the juice to be telling the New York Times what to do. So you know, it's a it's a bigger deal. So Hunt, if it oh this is in this is in plausible denial. Hunt is on the stand, and. I think he might be being examined by the CIA and he's bragging about what an upstanding individual he is. And so he brags about how in Paris after World War II, he was 
Averill Harriman's press secretary. Well, as he's telling us that, he doesn't realize how much other information we have showing that that's not this is the opposite. That's incriminating, that information that you just gave us. Um, but so Hunt was that close with Harriman. Bush's dad, Prescott, was Harriman's closest business partner. Um, they were right co-directors of all of the Harriman organizations. And so here's an example that you guys have my permission to take to the bank. 1942, J. Edgar Hoover. So everybody who's, who's bad-mouthing J. Edgar Hoover, remember what I said about all that really, 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 really good FBI investigative stuff that turns up in the Warren Commission documents. Hoover did all that stuff. Hoover wrote, Hoover wrote the most important memo incriminating Bush, and he hid it in such a way that, that it didn't get exterminated. He didn't put Bush's name in the title, and he didn't put it in the first paragraph. He buried it down at the end, and so it survived. So I'm, I got lots and lots of props to, to give to J. Edgar Hoover, but Hoover in 1942 seized Union Bank as a Nazi asset. Well, why didn't he arrest the CEO, Prescott Bush? Well, because Prescott Bush had some really, really heavy hitters on his side. Um, Averill Harriman being the guy, Prescott owned one share of the bank. Harriman owned 4,000 shares. So that's the relationship between Harriman and Prescott Bush. Prescott Bush is a really, really powerful, really, really, really evil guy. And Harriman is 4,000 times that. Um, okay, I'm gonna move right along if, if you don't have an, any objection. No, please do, please do. Okay, so the driver is this guy named Greer. And if you've seen the movie, um, Moulin Rouge, the bad guy, the Duke in the movie has a thug who works for him, who's undoubtedly his driver. Uh, in addition, right? But if you're, if you're a really evil, really, really super duper rich guy, you have a chauffeur who will bury your dead horse and kill the necessary witnesses and bribe the necessary police while you're laying in a drunken stupor in the corner. Um, and I'm, I have very little doubt that that's who Greer was for Lodge. Um, <laughs> and I'm laughing because I'm remembering they interviewed Greer's son about yes. whether his father had killed John Kennedy. And his son says, well, Kennedy was a Catholic. He'd have killed him in a heartbeat. Yeah, well, that was that was Vince Palarama who interviewed him. Yeah, and he just said, yeah, he, so he basically said, yeah, we didn't like him. He was a Catholic. It's like, okay. <laughs> and and we're, they were Northern Irish. Yeah. The yeah. only, right, they were Scotch. The, the British brought the Scotch in to be thugs for them in Northern Ireland. And Greer was the descendant of those guys. And they hated Irish Catholics yeah. for, you know, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Anyhow, um, well, so Lodge is one of the richest and most powerful people in the country. And he and Harriman's fingerprints are all over DM's murder. They were working very, very, very carefully and closely together at the time. Um, Her Lansdale, as near as I can tell, worked for the Rockefellers. I can't, I couldn't connect. He, he, he certainly worked for the Rockefellers. I can't connect him to Harriman or Lodge. He worked for the Rockefellers and they brought him in. Oh my God. 
if you see the movie, The Quiet American, have you John seen Wayne. that? John Wayne? With Michael Caine? Oh, I, I thought that there was a quiet, the quiet American was John Kane, uh, John Wayne. I don't know. I'm not sure. No, no. Oh, oh. It's an old movie called The Quiet American with John Wayne. There sure is. Is that what it's called? I believe so. Like, oh, there's a movie with Michael Caine. It's a similar title. There's a movie in the 1950s called The Quiet American about a CIA agent who, and Michael Caine remade it, and it was written by Green. Graham Green? Graham Green. Mm -hmm. You're not, I'm, should I, I'm, I'm a little tempted to look this up, um, but let somebody in your audience go to Amazon and type in Michael Caine and Vietnam. It's a movie he made about Vietnam. Um, Graham, he plays Graham Green. And Graham Greene was a British intelligence officer mm -hmm. during World War II when the British were fighting Nazis. And yeah. they sent him to Vietnam to spy on the Americans to see what the Americans were doing in Vietnam. And he did. And one of the things he discovered, he met Ed Lansdale and he discovered that Ed Lansdale had blown up a car in the square marketplace of vietnam and killed a bunch of innocent people and then blamed it on the communists it's a really and he wrote a book and he doesn't mm. name lansdale he gives him some other name but it's very very lansdale said that it was him <laughs> okay if you dig enough you will find lansdale saying yeah i had a dog yeah i had a a, a china an asian girlfriend um that was me because <laughs> Because he's such a freaking sicko, psycho egomaniac that he would rather be acknowledged as being the, the character in a Graham Greene novel than the fact that that's going to connect him to these atrocities of blowing up uh, innocent people in this marketplace. And, but he had done that in the Philippines for the Rockefellers to get their man elected president. And that's how he gets well, my, into this. My brother-in-law jumps in, the quiet man. That's what it was. Clint Messley, thanks for being on that. And, and uh, Kat Goya and another woman, Karen, both think you look like Roger, Richard Dreyfuss. I don't think you're related to him, but a couple of people have commented on that, just, just for what it's worth. What about Clint Eastwood? You don't think I... <laughs> Come on, Richard Dreyfuss. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and any movie star will do <laughs> yeah he's a movie now, star right yeah. where where were we um so harriman 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 right and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm telling you this guy corson kennedy cia guy in the white house and um angleton Trento is the name of the reporter who i regard as being really really solid um, and Trento became fairly close to Angleton, as close as anybody could. And he reveals some, it's all in the movie, right? I, I show you the pages out of the book. You can't ask for better. Um, that it was Harriman who was, who murdered DM and then Kennedy fired him, essentially. He kicked him upstairs. He removed him from Vietnam affairs. And so then, Harriman and these guys 
the people he who worked for him murdered Kennedy. All right, but so I had heard, uh, and Jim Mars told me, you need to look into Brown Brothers Harriman. This is 20 years ago that um, the late, great Jim Mars told me yes. that I great. should look into Brown Brothers Harriman, that there was an important connection there. And so I look into them and it seems fair. Oh my goodness. And I'm not going to begin. Brown Brothers Harriman has been the largest bank in the U.S. since 1770. In 1770, they owned probably 60% of everything in the U.S. that was worth owning. And in, I don't want to make these numbers up. They're in the film and they, my video, Breakthrough on Vimeo. And it, it shows you the webpage from Brown Brothers that they were purchased by the Bank of England in 1825, something like that. Well, a few years before, the Bank of England had been purchased by the Rothschilds. That is in Wikipedia. So surprise, surprise, surprise. You can trace. I, I, mean, I, I spent 50 years doing this stuff. I spent two weeks getting from Harriman to the Rothschilds and the Bank of England. Um, that <laughs> Wikipedia and the, the Brown Brothers Harriman website and the stuff that the Rothschilds write about themselves. Those are some horrible, horrible, horrible people who say stuff about themselves that, that would make me blush. And I'm not easy to make blush. And they, they're bragging. Anyway, um, are we ready to move on? So yeah. the Rothschilds, Harriman, yes. Harriman and Lodge and the Rockefellers are stooges. The British bankers have dominated the U.S. economy since the 1700s, absolutely dominated. Their main competition was the southern slave owners, who they owned, but nevertheless, these guys had enough power and influence to, to rival the interference of the British banks in the United States. And there, the fingerprints of the Rothschilds are all over the Civil War. Yes. And that's my next that ain't my next video but it's on the list all right that's that's coming attractions i'm sure netflix and, will pick that right up <laughs> um so lyndon johnson that's that's for me this was a breakthrough okay like i said coming into this thing i hated lyndon johnson to this day if you put on a speech of Lyndon Johnson promoting the war in Vietnam, I'm gonna have to leave. It makes me physically ill. It, it, I got drafted, okay? I got clubbed and gassed and chased and arrested twice protesting the war in Vietnam. Lyndon Johnson was not my hero to say the least. And in addition to which, Oliver Stone and, and other good people pointed to NSAM 273 and said, oh, which was signed by Johnson the, the day of the funeral. And they said, that was a call to war. That, that language is in the movie JFK, that, that this the two, NSAM 273 was a call to war. And like I said, I spent all of this time, the last seven years, more or less, buried in all of these thousands and thousands of government documents, FRUS, And I couldn't believe the stuff that I saw. Um, 
NSAM 273, for example, says explicitly, we are going to implement the decisions of the October 4th report. That's the one that Taylor is referring to, meaning everybody out by the end of 75. That's it, it's one of the primary prominent sentences in NSAM 273. The thing is that when you go to look at the report, the one that you can get your hands on today, that the meaning of that has been expunged. You can no longer tell um, what that says. But once you are able to plug the letter that Galbraith found into it, you find out that um, Johnson was endorsing Kennedy's plans for withdrawal in the most explicit language possible. In another memo, NSAM, he wrote shortly thereafter, he says that anybody who doesn't agree should quit. And he says to his underlings, if you find people who are digging in their heels and resisting our plans to get out, get rid of them. Um, I couldn't believe them. And this is that memo that you get to see it. It's in the video. I, I <laughs> couldn't have been more surprised by those both of those facts. Um, when you pour through carefully these all of these memos that that uh, starting with Johnson's and his swearing in, um, they started pounding him immediately that he should begin bombing. He should begin bombing. He should send Marines. He should send 30,000 Marines. And he resisted and he resisted and he resisted. And he, um, in, let me make sure I get this right. It might be Christmas of 64. I believe it's Christmas of 64. They sent Lansdale back to Vietnam and Lansdale started planting bombs on U.S. bases and blowing up soldiers and killing soldiers. And a couple of days before Christmas, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and I think he Johnson then made him ambassador to Vietnam, Maxwell Taylor, sends Johnson a letter saying we need to respond to these attacks and we need to start bombing and we need to send troops. And Johnson writes back and he says, I'm not doing that. If you guys are too incompetent to protect your own bases, I'm not going to let your incompetence become a justification for me expanding this war. I won't do it. And I'm thinking he was he there's no doubt that he got spray from Kennedy's blood on him right he's 50 feet behind and you you may be more or less familiar with the spray that came out of mm -hmm. um Kennedy's head Brugioni you know who Brugioni is yes. Doug Horn yes. interviewed Dino Brugioni who yes. saw the original Zapruder film yep and the thing that Brugioni is riveted by spends his time talking about was the giant spray of blood that came out of Kennedy's head. Mm -hmm. I should include here that when I was 20, this friend of mine got a copy of this Zapruder film. And I told you, I went to UCLA and I went to UC Santa Cruz and I went to my old high school and the spray of blood was in it. I, you know, I was there and showed it and, you know, was listening to the audiences go, Oh, at the, 
at this giant spray of blood. That's not in the current version. You can't you can't get that. Well, version. It sounds like you've seen the other film. You know, there are several people that claim they've seen what they call the other film. Is that, that well, seems to be what there, you're talking about? I'm sure there are several yeah. other films. And you know, listen, <laughs> these guys are are liable to come out with a film in which the driver turns around and shoots kennedy but i'm telling you he couldn't have shot kennedy on the right side of his head and made that exit wound in the back of his head if you see that film it's a fake just like every other Zapruder film you have ever seen is a fake um anyhow so i was really shocked by all of this information yeah, that is showing shocking. johnson oh in in may of 61 Kennedy sent Johnson to Vietnam and what you hear about that trip when you read about it is that Johnson compared um, DM to Churchill or something like that it doesn't matter Johnson spoke of DM in glowing words because that was one of the things he was supposed to do but he also wrote a memo in which he says and it's you know I show you the memo in my video he says, if, you, if you're nuts, you'll send troops to South Vietnam. No way in hell should we be sending troops to South Vietnam. If they can't do it on their own, they can't do it. It can't be done. We, there's no point in us sending troops to chase around Vietnamese irregulars all over the rice paddies of South Vietnam. Those are probably very close to his exact words. The French tried it. We don't need to try it it will be a disaster, right? It wasn't, he, he, he didn't mince words. He didn't pull his punches. He didn't use euphemism. He was very, very, very overwhelmingly powerfully explicit in his determination that sending troops to Vietnam would be a disaster. And as I have said, if you look at the back and forth and back and forth and the back and forth and back and forth without exception, he's being pushed to escalate the war and he's resisting and Galbraith told me that he ran into Robert Dalek, who was living at the Johnson Library at the time because he was getting ready to write this giant book on Johnson. Yeah. And Galbraith describes running into Dalek one day and Dalek telling him how he had found the memo that said that the CIA had told Johnson that the Cubans were going to blow up his plane and kill him and his family. And I argue, and very, very, with complete confidence, that when Johnson heard that, what he heard them say was, you remember how we blamed the Kennedy assassination on the Cubans? You remember that, don't you? And now Hoover told you, it turns out that was all a big lie. Well, we're lying to you again, telling you that the Cubans are going to kill your family. Well, the Cubans didn't kill John Kennedy. We did. And the Cubans aren't going to kill your family. We are. And several of Johnson's advisors described how he became a broken man when he made the decision to send the first troops to Vietnam and to begin bombing, that he was a broken man. And it's all in the video. Well, we, and we definitely want to, and I want, I want you to promote it again, but we're, we're running out. I just want to, uh, we had those questions. I just want Chris Graves is going to kill me if I don't ask you, what about the JFK Jr. thing? What about the three witnesses to an explosion? That would be Victor Perbanic, the lawyer, the still unidentified Vineyard Gazette reporter who I tried to locate, couldn't do it, and um, the still unidentified wedding guest at Rory Kennedy's 
wedding that, that all had gave some kind of indication that an explosion or something happened there. Well, you want to be asking two things: go to Vimeo and watch Breakthrough. It's if you yeah. watch the trailer, it has most of what I've been talking about in today. Um, I went through the NTSB report, 350 pages. I went through it with a fine tooth comb. I discovered, pat myself on the back, you don't mind, that yeah. the valve, the, the fuel selector valve had been turned off. That's yes. yep. that's not a small deal. And you need to watch, if you Google assassination of John Kennedy Jr., you'll find it for free on YouTube somewhere. That's that YouTube has always been taking my videos down and other people, I've only ever put it up once and people have always replaced it. Um, so, re and according to the NTSB, which did, in, in my view, a very, 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 it's, it's like the Warren Commission. It's a very thorough and, and very accurate report. Um, zero evidence of an explosion. Um, and I could go on and on and on. They, they, the first, the military was ordering the Coast Guard not to search the waters off of Martha's Vineyard. They were banned. And um, one of the suitcases, the suitcases of Kennedy Jr.'s wife's sister washed up on the shore and the plane plummeted down, which means if there was a bomb, it blew off the tail. Um, but this suitcase, if it was in the luggage compartment, would have been blown to bits. There's zero evidence that there was a bomb on the plane. So, you know, it was July. Somebody saw fireworks. Okay, somebody saw fireworks. Somebody imagined it. They imagined it. Somebody set off, a, heard a firecracker and looked up and saw the moon or a plane or a meteor or whatever. <clears throat> they never recovered the co-pilot seat. That is correct. And it is, I argue that the reason... I mean, they recovered everything. They recovered every little tiny piece and they didn't recover the co-pilot seat. And I argue, you know, I try to put two and two together. Why didn't they cover the co-pilot seat? For the same reason that they didn't recover the co-pilot, right? The, the evidence that John Kennedy Jr. would have been flying that plane with a, with a flight instructor on board is absolutely overwhelming. I think it's beyond question. He told any number of people that he was, don't worry, I'm going to be flying with a, yes, video, Vimeo breakthrough, JFK, space JFK. Kristen's already ordered it. So yeah, so give, give us again, is it just available on Vimeo or where, where else can anybody get it? You can get the DVD a billion places. Barnes and Noble, I believe, has it. Amazon has it. Um, but Amazon won't stream it. Netflix won't stream it. Vimeo is the place that you can, you know, you can watch the trailer for free and you, you may be satisfied. And for 99 cents, you can watch it. And if it ain't worth 99 cents to you, well, you don't deserve to watch it. Anyhow, um, I think for 250 or something, you can buy it. Um, anyway, thank you, Kristen. I, I really appreciate it. And anybody out there who, who feels like doing me a big favor, Buy it from Amazon and then do a review because the two people who have done reviews gave it a one. Yeah. <laughs> one star you, bandits. This is, yeah. this is 50 <clears throat> years of research by a very, very creditable, creditable researcher. Um, it, 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 you didn't know why you'd give it a one star unless you're a, one of the bad guys.
trying yeah, to well, suppress. Yeah, well, the one star things are notorious. And I, they, they've hopefully they at least the the, the film was out because what they do with some books like mine in the past, uh, people will review it when it's not even available yet. And I give it a one star. And I said, well, that's impossible. I didn't, unless I sent you a copy, you couldn't have read it. <laughs> I, I, I had somebody who I am certain is an agent reviewed a version, reviewed the first version of JFK2. Only five people. I, I mailed that, that version to five people. And this is the one that got reviewed by, uh, what is her name? Jim Lisa Pease. Oh, Lisa Pease reviewed it. I know Lisa, Lisa Pease. Yes. Pease trashed it. She Lisa did. Pee's, oh yes, Lisa. She Pee's wrote a lie too big to fail yes. about the RFK assassination. Lisa yes, Pee's she's been on my show. Darkest of villains. Oh, we were talking yeah. off air before we started. We were talking about how um, it's really hard to judge people, right? Yeah. Somebody, somebody says something and they're wrong. Oh my God, you, they must be an agent because they were wrong. Right. Right. <laughs> well, people are wrong. It happens. Yeah. Uh, I must have been wrong sometime in my life. I just can't happen to remember any of them, and it doesn't matter. Um, I, I was wrong the minute that I trusted Lisa Pease and I trusted her for a minute. Anyway, um, uh, geez, I had something to say about that. Well, yeah, I, cause we're, we're just about out of time. Cause basically we just had to give out the, 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 the name of the film and the link again. I'm sorry to hear that, but you're, you're not the first one who had, uh, issues well, with her. Let's it, put it that oh, way. Here, yeah. This is what I wanted to say. It's yeah. very, 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 very hard to know who to believe because... If you're a professional disinformer, if you go fishing, you don't put poison on the hook and throw it in the water. You hear what I'm saying? <laughs> if you're going fishing, you have to bait the hook with bait. Right. And so if you want to become a disinformer, you have to do some really, really good work before you become a professional disinformer. And one of the lessons is don't trust anybody. And another one of the lessons is don't not read everything because the stuff that e howard hunt wrote the book that has the picture of him as a sniper you know what am i doing reading that this trash written by him well there it is <laughs> anyway Absolutely. um well give the name out again of where people can find it john fascinating stuff breakthrough jfk if you search those two words i i went to vimeo and searched breakthrough jfk murder solved and it didn't come up but i went back and searched breakthrough jfk and it came up um so i recommend searching breakthrough jfk um if you ask don don will give you my email address i'm happy to hear from anybody sure. um so if you're if you're having trouble or if you have anything if you have a question or you have a response if you have a response i'm interested this is you know it's the first version i typically mm -hmm issue two or three versions and it's not too late oh it's way too long did i mention it's way you're not going to get through it in one sitting it's way too long but it's all there you won't say that it's you didn't what about this that's not what you're going to say uh anyhow well, fascinating stuff john appreciate it appreciate all you do and uh go watch his movie support his work find uh dark legacy too about the jfk jr thing if you're interested in that great work there too thanks so much for joining us thanks everybody for listening to I protest. We'll see you next Friday at the same time. Thanks.